You have been listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church. We invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For more information, visit day3church.com. This Christmas season, we're going to do a uh, series called Christmas Family. Probably the uh, title could be a little bit self-evident because typically Christmas time is family time. We do a lot of things that are family-oriented when we think about Christmas, from going out to shop for the perfect gift for a family member hoping that by doing so you communicate to them your love and your affection and your concern for them, to maybe loading up in the uh, car and going out to look at Christmas lights, to getting together and having family meals. Just all all through the Christmas season, you have this, this family type of stuff, these events going on, these opportunities to be connected to family. So Christmas is about family, but in particular, Christmas ought to be about the first family of Christmas, the first Christmas family. You know the story well about an angel appearing to a virgin by the name of Mary and telling her that she's going to have a baby not just any baby, that baby is going to be the Son of God. That baby is being sent into the world to be Savior of the world. There's a guy by the name of Joseph who's willing to fill the earthly role of being a father, but he's not the father. Because the Bible clearly tells us that Jesus was virgin born. That Mary had never, ever been with a man. Now, we'll talk more about that in the message, but you need to understand how central that is to the Christmas message. See, Christmas is about more than just a a baby being put in a manger and us having nice, warm feelings about a baby in a manger and maybe singing peaceful songs like Silent Night, Christmas ultimately is about this. God became man to grow up, to go on a cross, die on the cross, and shed his blood that through faith in him we can have everlasting life. That's ultimately what Christmas is about. And in order for that to be true... It's a necessity, it's imperative that Jesus be virgin born, doctrinally. Because if Jesus were not virgin born, he's got the same kind of blood we have going through our veins. They've even proven scientifically, medicine has proven that the blood in the conception of a child, the blood is developed from the father's side of the DNA, man by the name of M.R. Dehan years ago wrote a book entitled Chemistry of the Blood. He was a medical doctor, not just a pastor, and, and he talked about that, the, the chemistry of it taking place. So that's why it's essential that Jesus be virgin born, because by virtue of Jesus being virgin born, here's the deal with that. He did not have Joseph's blood. He had God the Father's blood in his veins. And that meant that he could go to the cross as the perfect ultimate sacrifice for our sins. Because the Bible teaches this in Hebrews. And we're going to read a couple of passages in Hebrews real quickly before we wind up in Luke chapter 1. That's where the main part of the message is. But you see, all the blood of the animals could not do what needed to be done for the sin of mankind. That's why it is imperative, a necessity, that Jesus be virgin born. Now, some people get all logical and try and pretend they're smarter than God and say, well, that's impossible for some of the viewers who are born. Yeah, you're going to see a verse today that says there's nothing impossible with God. Look at what it tells us in Hebrews. Because it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Couldn't happen. Couldn't do it. Therefore, the first part of verse 5, therefore, when Christ came into the world... 
See, there's God's response. God had set up the sacrificial system. All of it pointed to the fact that Jesus would come as the ultimate sacrifice. Animals can never fully pay the sacrifice for human beings. So God sends his son. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, God sends his son to be the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. Later on in Hebrews, the Bible says this. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest, read the context, he's talking about Christ. This priest is talking about Jesus. When Jesus, this priest, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Here's how he could do that. Never ever need another sacrifice. Jesus, as the virgin-born Son of God, once and for all, paid the penalty and the price for our sins. That's what Christmas is about. The fact that He comes as the virgin-born Son of God, grows up and goes to a cross for our sins. Doctrinally, that's what Christmas is about. We're going to do something a little bit different, though, this month than I have ever done with a Christmas story. We are going to focus upon the Christmas story and Jesus being born and everything that surrounds that. But the main goal of this month is that we're going to look at the first family of Christmas and try and learn some practical lessons that you and I need for our families. Since Christmas is a family time... We're going to look at the Christmas story, the first family of Christmas, and learn some practical lessons that we can apply to our families. And what we're going to focus upon today is this thought. We're going to talk about having, raising, spiritually sensitive children. Raising children who are sensitive to God's will more than they are sensitive to their own desires or what culture says is correct. We're going to look at Mary and use Mary as a picture of a spiritually sensitive child. And all of us as Christian parents and as a Christian church recognizing that we need to be about developing spiritually sensitive children. That ought to be a goal that you have as a parent, if you're a Christian and you have children, is that you raise spiritually sensitive children. Children who are more concerned about the will of God than they're concerned about what their friend tells them or what culture might model for them. They're more concerned about what God has to say than they are about anything else. So as we think about raising Spiritually sensitive children. We're going to be in Luke chapter 1. If you want to join me there, we're going to look at four goals. Four goals that we ought to have as Christian families. Four goals that we should have as Christian families concerning our children. Concerning our children. Goal number one is this. As families, as Christian families... We need to have the goal of producing children who are submissive to God's will. We need to have the goal of producing and raising and training our children up in a way that they will be submissive to the will of God. Look at these verses. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. We might can say this morning that Mary could be a poster child for being a spiritually sensitive child. Because God chooses her. Not just out of all the women that were alive in that day and time, because God is God. God could have chosen for his son to come into the world whenever he so wanted to. 
So it's not just that he chooses Mary out of all the women available that day. He chooses Mary, more or less, out of all the women that would be available through time. And selects her to be the one that will bear his son and bring his son into the world. We're told in the passage of Scripture, I've already alluded to this, she's a virgin. So evidently, especially in this particular area of her life, she had been concerned about what the will of God was concerning her sex life. Now, I, mean, I, I plan on saying this later, but let me just bring it up and say it right now because I, I've, I've noticed this a lot of times over the years I've been in the ministry. Anytime you say sex in church, somebody has a knee-jerk reaction like, Okay? So let me clear the air on that. God created it. Okay? God talks specifically in His Word about sex. God tells us how it ought to be practiced and how it should not be practiced. And we cannot afford, especially in the culture that we live in today, for sex to be a taboo subject at church because they will hear about it out in the world. So we had best tell them what God's will is concerning it. I mean, it is clear in the Bible that the marriage bed is undefiled. Anything outside the realm of marriage in the sexual realm is a violation of God's will. We, we did a series a few months ago that you guys, really, it was your fault I preached on it because we did a series entitled You Asked For It and I asked you to write down topics. So one of you wrote down the topic, why do I have to wait until marriage to have sex? So it's your fault that I dealt with that subject. And I covered a lot of reasons. I mean, there are emotional reasons and physical reasons and things like that. But it boils down to just a spiritual reason. And that is simply this. God said don't do it and God's never changed his mind. So if we're going to be sensitive to the will of God, then that means that is only practiced between a man and a wife in matrimony, in marriage. Evidently, Mary believed that. Because Mary's a virgin. So I want you to think about us developing spiritually sensitive children, raising spiritually sensitive children who are more concerned about being sensitive to God's will than they are of their own desires or wants or temptations as our children face certain circumstances or situations. Look at the next slide. We need to teach our children to be submissive to God's will, even in difficult environments. The Bible says in the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee. Now, we might kind of just read over that pretty fast and think, well, all right, that's just telling us the location of where the angel went and where Mary was living. And it does do that. But... I'm a little bit weird about stuff, I guess. Maybe you don't do this, but when I read something in the Bible, I like to see what's said about it in other parts of the Bible. And when you read about the word Nazareth, the city of Nazareth, it's addressed in other parts of the Bible. Matter of fact, in particular, later on after Jesus grows up and he's out finding his disciples and calling them to himself, he calls Philip to himself Philip gets real excited and thinks, man, this is the Messiah. This is the one we've waited on all these years. And Philip runs over to his brother Nathaniel, goes looking for Nathaniel, and he tells him, you've got to come with me. You've got to see this is the one we've been waiting on all these years. I found the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth. Here's what Nathaniel said. <coughs> Nazareth. Can anything good come from there? Now, I want to point out to you, Nathaniel grew up in Galilee. Nazareth is a town of Galilee. So Nathaniel had some pretty close insight to what Nazareth and the people that lived there were like. Now, some people will just write this on and say, well, no, the only reason Nathaniel said that is because the Bible says the Messiah will come from Bethlehem, be born in Bethlehem. He was, and then he moved to Nazareth. But I think there's more going on than just that. Because it's like Nathaniel says this with some disdain. 
Man, the people, you, Nazareth, no, no one's any good up there. How, how can anyone good come from Nazareth? So evidently he has some reasons to doubt that anything good could come from there. Now, we don't know exactly why. There's a lot of conjecture as to why. Some believe that maybe uh, Nathaniel had that attitude because in Nazareth there was a Roman garrison and the Romans were uh, occupying the land. So, you know, a good God-loving Jew would not like the fact that there was a Roman garrison in Nazareth. That could have had something to do with it. A lot of theologians believe that the people in Nazareth had very poor morality in their lives and a very, you know, lackluster religious commitment. And there's some evidence for that because they didn't care a lot for Jesus. They took Jesus at one point in Nazareth and threatened to throw him over a cliff. And the Bible tells us a prophet's not without honor except in his own town. And that was where Jesus grew up. And, you know, they didn't accept him very well. And Jesus did his first miracles around there and they didn't receive it. So Jesus left Nazareth and he went down to Capernaum because they were rejecting him. Some Bible scholars believe at the time of Jesus, about half the town of Nazareth was filled with pagans. Some believe that maybe Nathaniel just had this attitude against them because they were kindly rude acting, you know, and, and they were known for a, for a rough dialect, the way they would talk and the speech that they would use. But for whatever reason... Nathaniel, who lived close to Nazareth, has this mentality, can anything worthwhile, anything good come out of Nazareth? Now, we're bad to do that, aren't we, sometimes? We'll make a wholesale decision about a group of people, you know, or, or, or a family, or a church, or a town, or an area, or a nation, or whatever it is, and we'll just write the whole group off. And that's kind of what Nathaniel was doing. But for some reason, Nathaniel thought of it as not a very good environment. And that's what I want you to think about here just for a second before I move on, is that Mary did not necessarily grow up in the most wonderful place in the world to stay faithful to God. It was a challenging environment probably, not the best environment for her, and yet she chose, in spite of her environment, to remain chaste and pure and sensitive to God's will. And I'm just telling you, we as Christian parents need to have the goal to raise our children to where they'll be sensitive to God's will, irregardless of their environment, because in case you've not checked it out lately, we live in a culture, in an environment that is set on the destruction of the family and is set on tempting our children to do wrong, especially in the area of their sexual life. So we need to teach our children, even though you're in a difficult situation, even though you're in a tough environment, even though you're in a place with a lot of temptation, you still need to be sensitive to what God's will is. And and Mary seemed to be that. second thing I want you to get in this, in this first point is, is this. We also need to teach our children to be submissive to God's will, even when excuses make disobedience seem logical. Now, disobedience is never okay to God. It's never all right. It's never really logical. But sometimes circumstances present themselves to where we'll look at circumstances and we'll come up with excuses as to why it's okay to disobey God. And what I'm about to say is just speculation on my part. I'm not trying to say that Mary actually had these feelings. But as I look at human nature and the culture that we live in and things like that, I'm suggesting to you that she could have had these feelings. The Bible tells us that this angel came to a virgin, pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. What if? I'm not saying she did, just what if? What if Mary had some of the same attitudes that people humanly have today? Well, I'm engaged. I know who I'm going to marry. I know who I'm going to spend my life with. I know who I'm going to be intimate with. So why wait till marriage? Why not just go ahead now? I mean, after all, everybody's doing it. You see, we come up with those same excuses in our culture. 
Now, I want to stop real quick and point something out to you. Mary needed a Savior just as much as you and I needed a Savior. There's some denominations that teach something called the impeccability of Mary, and they will teach that Mary was a virgin in her own mother's womb. I tell you what, I would believe it if this tells me that, but I can't find it in the Bible. I said this one Christmas, and I had somebody come up that was raised in that background that I'm speaking of, that particular denomination. And they said, oh, I don't think I'd say anything against the Virgin Mary. The only thing I'm saying about Mary is the same thing I say about myself. I'm a sinner, you're a sinner, she was a sinner. There's only one that's been virgin born, and that is Jesus. And the very one that had her needed him to die on the cross for her. So I I wanted to throw that out there just before you start thinking, oh, you shouldn't say, what if Mary thought that? I'm not saying she did, but what if? Because you see, we live in a culture today that is all the time coming up with excuses why disobedience to God seems logical. Well, my friends are doing it. Or I see it happen on the movies all the time. I mean, honest, guys, in the movies or on television, it looks like just a common, okay, accepted thing in our culture to have sex and it have no meaning or bearing whatsoever upon the relationship of marriage. So because that's being so bombarded toward our children and so bombarded toward our youth and even us as adults, We need to have a goal as Christian families to raise our children to be sensitive to God's will and understand what God says is most important. It doesn't matter if your friends are doing it. It doesn't matter if the movie says it's okay. It doesn't matter if our culture accepts it. What matters is this. Does God say it's right or wrong? And then raise our children to model their lives after what God says is right. We need to raise our children to be, to be spiritually sensitive to God's will and not to just make up a bunch of excuses. We also need to raise our children to be submissive to God's will even when experiencing God's favor seems illogical. You want to know why some people will not step out on faith to follow God or do what they think is God's will for their life? Because they look at their own life and they think, I'm so insignificant, I can't do anything. I'm so flawed. You know, I, I, I'm such a disappointment to God and everybody else. I just can't do anything. I can't step out and follow God because of all the mistakes I've made. I'm not smart enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not, you know, I, I don't know enough about the Bible, whatever. We'll come up with all kinds of excuses as to why it is not logical for us to try and follow God's will. And what we need to do is teach our children to be submissive to God's will, even when they can't figure out how they benefit from it, even when they can't see themselves doing it because they're looking at their own life and they're thinking, I can't serve God, I can't do this for God, because they're seeing themselves as just a little insignificant person. See, the Bible says this, the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Most Bible scholars think that Mary was probably a teenager. And in that culture, in that day and time in the Middle East, she had two things going against her. One, she was young. Two, she was a woman. So she would have been looked down on by the culture around her for those two reasons. She's young, insignificant, and she's a woman. And in their culture, you know... If you want a picture of what it could have been like in that day and time, look at Afghanistan a few years ago and the way women were treated. So so in other words, I don't think Mary was sitting around at home and thinking to herself, I am so great and I'm so good. I know God's going to send an angel to see me. And and when the angel shows up, he's going to tell me, Mary, you are such a wonderful young lady. You're so smart, you're so beautiful, you're so, you have so much wisdom that, that you are going to be the one that gets to bring God's Son into the world. 
See, that wouldn't have been in her mentality. Her mentality would have been like our mentality or the mentality of our children or the mentality of our youth maybe sometimes. They look at themselves and they think, I'm insignificant. I can't do anything. I've screwed up too much. I've made too many bad choices. I've had too many mistakes in my life. Surely God can't use me for anything. That could have been the attitude that Mary could have had. There's no reason for her to think herself worthy to have Jesus. There's no reason to be anticipating God would go and send Gabriel to tell her that she's going to have God's son. Just an insignificant young person. But you see, here's the, the deal with that. The angel did show up to her and the angel said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. The word favorite is the exact same word we get our word grace from. It means the grace to endure with a special honor. The root word that is built upon where it says highly favored is the exact same word that's translated God's grace. In other words, none of us deserve to go to heaven. None of us deserve to favor everlasting life. None of us are worthy of the blood of Jesus. It is all by God's grace, by his unmerited favor. None of us one day will walk through the gates of glory and say, I'm here because of what I've done. I'm here because I'm worthy. It is by God's grace. And it was by God's grace that he chose Mary. He didn't choose her because she was significant. He didn't choose her necessarily because she was special. It was by God's grace that he chose her. And we need to teach our children they are never, ever too insignificant or too flawed to be able to follow God's will for their lives. We all make mistakes. We all fall short. But thank God there's something called the grace of God that comes to our lives where God picks us up and he wants to use our lives. He used Mary and he wants to use our lives and he wants to use the lives of our children and our young people. And we need to help them understand that it is completely logical to think you can do something for God. Instead of thinking, well, I'm so insignificant, it's just illogical that God would want to use me. We need to teach our children to be submissive to God's will. Number two this morning is this. Our second goal, as families, as Christian families, we need to have the goal of preparing our children to overcome their fears of serving God's will. Do you understand you have fear in life? Amen? Just shake your head and agree with me. You've had some fears in life? Teenagers are shaking their head. They're honest enough to say, yeah, I've got fears in life. I'm afraid I'm not going to pass a test this week. <laughs> we all were there. I mean, we're afraid sometimes even to go to school. Even have to make new friends. Afraid to go look for a new job. There's all kinds of fears that hit our lives. Afraid we'll get cancer. In life, you experience fears. But in particular, as Christians, we will experience fears and our children and our young people will experience fears when it comes to serving God. I mean, it, honest, guys, it, it does. It whacks you out a little bit. I mean, I went through it when God was trying to call me to full-time Christian ministry. I'm thinking, God, why in the world would you want to call me? I'm the guy that didn't even want to give an oral report in high school. Why in the world do you want to put me on a stage and put me through that and make me talk in front of people? There's all kinds of fears that we can have when it comes to following God's will. And our young people and our children experience that. Look at the verses. The angel shows up and it says, Mary was greatly troubled at his words. She was afraid and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You found favor. Once again, there's that word that means grace. You found grace with God. You'll be with a child and give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. Mary had some honest fears. We need to prepare our children 
and help them understand that they'll face fears in life. There'll be things that will cause them to have uncertainty in life. And in particular, when they feel like God wants them to do something and they're afraid to do it, they're afraid to step out by faith, we need to teach them how to overcome that fear, how to have faith in a great God who can use them. Fears in life, especially fear of God's will, it's, it's a certainty. It's going to happen. Next slide. That's what the Mary experienced. It's a certainty that you're going to have fears in life, especially when it comes to following God, doing what He's called you to do. The Bible tells us clearly that she was troubled. I can relate to that. Can't you think about it for a minute? Angel shows up and an angel starts talking to you. Don't sit there and act like it wouldn't freak you out. Some of you would be afraid to tell somebody about it. You think my friends will think I've been smoking pot or something. Honest, if you were at home last night in the middle of the night, an angel showed up, and then you find out no less, it is kind of like the main angel, Gabriel. And he shows up and he says, I have a message for you. This is something that God's going to do through your life. Wouldn't it wake you out a little bit? I don't think too many of us would experience that and kind of, you know, look and think, okay, thanks for showing up and roll over and go back to sleep. God shows up, sends an angel, and tells you to do something. I mean, you ladies in particular, God shows up and tells you, you've ne- I, we know you've never been with a man, but here's the deal. You're going to have a baby anyway, and it's going to happen by the Holy Spirit overshadowing you. You're going to conceive a child. And by the way, the baby is going to be the Son of God. They give you some fears. Our our children face fears, especially our young people, our teenagers. Men, they're they're confronted with so much. And then we start confronting them with God's will in church. And and maybe you do it at home or God's just dealing with their heart. And and they're confronted with fears because there's this great big holy God that they feel like wants them to do something. But they're scared to do it. We need to get them over those fears by helping them to see they need to have faith in God. And that's what the angel did here. We can overcome fears ourselves and help our children overcome fears by understanding we need to have faith in a great God. I read it already, but let's look at what the angel said. Let me break it down real quick. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid. That's that's the first thing that happens. Do not be afraid. You found favor with God. You'll be a child and give birth to a son. And you're to give him the name of Jesus. So a miracle is going to take place. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. That's the response that God gives to the angel to the fears of Mary. Now, how can we take what's said here and apply it in a practical way to our lives or use it to teach our children and our young people in a practical way to get them over the fear of serving God? Here's the first step. We need to hear God's message. Hearing God's message can help us overcome the fear of serving God. The angel said to her, don't be afraid, Mary, you found favor with God. Listen at the message that God sent her. She's afraid, she's terrified, she's troubled about what she hears. And God, through the angel, says to her, don't be afraid. That's what we need to hear when we're facing fears in our life. We need to hear God tell us, don't be afraid. We need to hear God speak to us and tell us, You found grace with me. You you didn't save yourself by good works. You're not going to keep yourself saved by good works. You found grace with me. Serve me. Follow me. Don't be too scared to be obedient to me. You have my favor. 
You've been there, I'm sure most of you have. But I can't tell you how many times in my life I've been wrestling with some fears about things. And what I need to do is just open this and read this and hear a message from God to get me over my fears. Most of you have heard me tell this before, but when God was calling me to the pastor, and he, he was calling me to pastor my first full-time church, and it was a church that had a lot of trouble. I didn't want to go there. And, and yet I'd accepted their call, and I'm sitting around the house at, at Christmas, uh, still in Wills County where I grew up, where this first church was at. And uh, I, I'm sitting there, and I'm tore up about going to this church because I knew it had been problematic. I knew the trouble that they had had and things like that. And, and I'm going there to be my first pastorate. And, and I, I'm sitting there all upset. And I say, God, you have got to give me something to help me. And, and I pick my Bible up. I, I, I don't recommend always doing this and just letting it fly open and seeing where it falls because you may read, you know, where, uh, where someone goes out and hangs himself or something like that, like Judah did. But that night, man, it fell open to Joshua chapter 1. And I read, wherever the sole of your foot shall tread upon, I am with you, as I said to Moses. And God gave me a promise to go to that church and be with me that night. We need to teach our children they can overcome their fears by reading God's message, getting a message from God. That's what the angel did for Mary. Yes, she was scared. Yes, she was upset. The angel said, don't be afraid. You found favor with God. That's what this Bible tells us. We can find favor and grace with God. And that will get us over our fears of where we're willing to serve Him and do something for Him. Second thing out of that passage, those verses, is experiencing God's miracle. I mean, the angel just says, hey, God's going to do a great thing through your life. You're going to be with child, give birth to a son. You're going to give his name Jesus. By the way, the name Jesus means Jehovah's salvation or Jehovah saves. So he's saying your son is going to be the one that saves the world. A miracle was going to take place in her life. And why it does not happen on the same level with us in the same way. Because the Savior has been born and none of us will ever fill that role. God still wants to do miracles through our lives. And we need to teach that to our children instead of being fearful and afraid and apprehensive about stepping out and following the will of God for their life. We need to teach them that God is still in the miracle-making business and God wants to use their lives in significant ways like he used Mary. Third thing you need to get out of those verses is this. We need to perceive God's majesty. When we're afraid to follow God, we need to remember it's not about what we can do anyway. It's about who he is and what he can do. Because the angel looked at Mary filled with fears, and the angel said to her, he'll be great and will be called the son of the most high. If you want a picture of the majesty of God, all of us that are here today because Jesus came and because he was the son of the most high and because he went to the cross and died for our sins, all of us can become the children of the most high. Not based upon who we are and what we can do. It's in spite of who we are and what we can do. That's why it's favor. That's why it's grace. We need to teach our children don't be afraid to follow God's will, God's plan for their lives. Because there's a great God, the same great God that sent his son to die on a cross so we can become the children of God. That same God is the one that empowers us to do anything he calls us to do. And we need to teach that to our children. See, our children feel inadequate, and you and I should feel inadequate because the truth is we are inadequate. I can't do it, you can't do it. He does it by his majesty, by his power through us. The Lord will give him the throne of his father David. And he'll reign over the house of Jacob forever. Through the majesty of God, through the power of God, he sent his son to grow up and go to a cross and die for our sins. 
that through faith in him, you and I one day will reign with him for all eternity. And there will never be an end to his kingdom. We need to teach that to our children. Teach them that they can, by faith, step out and follow God. Instead of allowing fears to paralyze them, they can follow God by having faith in how great God is because God is so great and tremendous. He is so majestic. He sent His Son into this world that when we have faith in Him, one day we reign with Him. That's the kind of God that can use our lives. And we need to teach our children God can do it through their lives. We're just getting some practical lessons, some goals that we ought to have as Christian parents. Goal number three is this. As families, we need to have the goal of teaching children. It is all right to ask questions and seek answers concerning God's will. Now open your ears as parents and hear this. Because I'm afraid sometimes we are guilty of this as Christian parents, and we can be guilty of this in the church it's as though we don't ever want anyone to ask any questions. We don't want our children to have any doubts. We don't want them to question God or the will of God or the word of God. We just kind of act like wholesale, you know, you, you accept it all and don't ask us anything. See, here's the problem with that. Every one of us as adults, we have doubted sometimes things about God. We've had questions before about the will of God. How in the world can we not want our children to be honest and transparent and feel like they can ask questions and seek answers? But all too often as a church, especially when we're conservative in our theology and things like that, which we are as a church... Don't let that slip out into the community. It'll ruin their opinion of day three. Because we don't have Baptists on the sign, even though we are Baptists, they look at us as weird. And, you know, because I don't wear a suit, they look at us as weird. And because we play the music we play, they kind of look at us as weird. So don't tell them we actually believe the Bible. <laughs> That's a joke, guys. If anyone ever tells you that this is a liberal church, I hope you'll stand up and tell them that we deal with harder topics than they do that think they're conservative. I believe every bit of the Word of God. If I didn't believe the Word of God, I'd walk out of this place right now and not even bother to come back. But we need to understand that even though we are conservative and we say we believe the Bible, we need to let our children know, our teenagers know, it's okay to ask a question. It's okay to have some doubt in your life. Here's why I say that. Look at what happened in this story we're reading. How will this be? Mary, the one that was chosen to bring Jesus into the world through her body to be the mother of the Son of God. Mary asked a question. Mary said, how can this be since I'm a virgin? She's filled with some sincere doubt. And the angel answers her question. I'll wait and read those verses in a moment. Let's, let's look, at, look at the next slide. Look at her. Look at her questions for a minute. See, our, our questions, we need to understand this, or the question that our children ask, or the questions that our young people ask is we try to parent them or we try to guide them here in church. Our questions and their questions do not come as surprises to God. In other words, God did not send Gabriel to see Mary, and then when Mary said, how can this be? God didn't lose it and said, how in the world can Mary ask that? Who is Mary to question something about me? It did not come as a surprise to God, and I don't think it caused God to think one less lease of Mary in her life that she asked a question. She's just being honest and transparent. She knows she's never been with a man. Now she's told she's going to have a baby and it's going to be the son of God. You know, I, I myself, I think I would be asking a question, How? We need to teach our children it's okay if they've got some concerns or questions about God. I would rather them ask and have the chance to answer than them to pretend and us never know they had the questions. 
Don't, don't, don't act like, don't be the kind of parent that acts like your child does not have a right to ever question anything about God. Thank God if they are questioning something and they come to you about it, they're being real with you and transparent instead of hiding it down in their heart and acting like they're okay on the outside. I would a thousand million times rather them come and say, I've got some questions, I've got some concerns, help me with it. That's what Mary does, she asks a question. And I don't think it shocked God, and I, I don't think it blew God's mind, and, you know, and, and God be upset with her. He knew, because he's God in advance, that Mary would ask this question. And we see the angel give her some answers. And God can do this. God can answer our questions anytime we have questions. Look at the things the angel said. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Let me paraphrase that. Mary, it's not about you and your ability. It's about me and what I'm going to do through your life. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be barren is in her sixth month. And then listen to what the angel says. For nothing is impossible with God. You see, it's okay, it's all right. We, in fact, ought to encourage it to let our children, our young people, our teenagers know it's all right to ask questions. Because God has the answers. What is said here is this. Look at it as a recipe for a moment. If someone gave you a recipe and you're trying to get a recipe put together to have the right outcome on the other end, here's a faith recipe for you. First of all, you need a big heaping dose of the Holy Spirit of God involved. Because you see, what I said earlier is true. You can't do it, I can't do it, but the Holy Spirit through us can do it. So that's an ingredient in this recipe that you need to have. You need to have the Holy Spirit of God come upon you and use your life. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. There's a second ingredient. If you're going to follow God's will and have the faith to go forward, even with your questions, you need to put this in to the mixture. The power of God. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. That was true of Mary's life. Can I tell you something? It's true of our lives. When he calls us to do something, it's by his power overshadowing our lives. It is not through our abilities. And we need to teach our children that. They can do anything God calls them to do because his Holy Spirit, if they are saved, his Holy Spirit is there to help them. The power of God is there to work and help them in their lives. And then when it comes to a recipe, you like to know that somebody else has used the recipe, that it works. And the angel says this, hey, remember Elizabeth, your cousin that was old, people thought she'd never have any kids? Guess what? She's six months pregnant. By the way, the reason that took place and then the reason you're going to have a baby also, Mary, is this. For nothing is impossible with God. You want a foundational truth, we as parents, as we think about being the families we ought to be here at Christmas, if you want a foundational truth, we need to embed into our own lives and model it for our kids and then model it into their lives, build it into their lives as children and teenagers. We need to help them understand there is nothing impossible with God. And they can be used by God. And they can serve him. And we need to have that as a goal in our lives. To think it's okay for our kids to ask questions. And for you and I, the best that we can to give them answers. And pray that they read the Bible. And get them to read the Bible. Let God give them answers. Because here's here's a foundational answer for whatever you face. There's nothing impossible with God. Last goal that we need to have as Christian families as we think about this topic of a Christian family is this. <clears throat> as families, we need to have the goal of seeing our children volunteer to be the servants of God's will. I'm going to warn you up front, I'm getting ready to meddle, and I'm getting ready to invade some of your lives. 
because God invaded my life with this. And to be honest with you, probably the verse that we're getting ready to look at is the whole reason we're doing this series. And it is in particular the reason why I'm doing the message today called Spiritual Sensitive Child. And how we as Christian families, as Christmas families, we need to have a goal of raising spiritually sensitive children. I want you to look what Mary said. After she heard all this amazing stuff from the angel, stuff that scared her, stuff that made her doubt, stuff that made her ask questions. Mary says this to the angel. I'm the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. Do you see what's happening? The angel shows up with this big, incredible announcement. And it's like Mary is at the point now that she understands and she accepts it. And Mary more or less says, sign me up for it, God. I'm willing to do what you want me to do. She she says, I'm your servant. I'm the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you said. I told you I'm going to invade your life for a moment. And then we're going to have an invitation. Because God invaded my life with this. Do you really want your child to volunteer to be a servant of God? To do what Mary says here and to say, here I am, I'm your servant, do whatever you want to do with me. Can you as a parent say that you're okay with that? Not just okay with it. We're talking about goals we ought to have for our children's lives. Can you this morning say that you want it to be a goal of your family? That your child would tell God, Here I am, God, and whatever you want me to do, I'm willing to do it. What happened if God were to tell your son or your daughter, I want you to go to Africa and spend your life in Africa reaching people for Jesus there. What would you do if God were to call your child and tell your child, I want you to go to the Middle East and risk your life trying to share the gospel in a Muslim culture where they may arrest you and execute you because you're sharing the gospel. Are you as a parent willing to say, God, however you want to use my child, I'm okay with it. I'm for it. It's a goal I have in my life. It's a goal we have for our family that I want you to use my child however. And guys, I'm afraid we're in trouble with this in the church because to be honest with you, and and, and I've made the same mistake myself. I've told my kids before when thinking about their careers and their education, you need to get a job and, and have a career to where you'll be able to make plenty of money, be able to support yourself. I've said that just as a parent because in a in a in a kind of you know physical way, just a loving way, I want what's best for my kids. But you see, that's not necessarily what's best for my kids. What's best for my kids is doing what God tells them to do. And I'm afraid in our culture, in our society, and I'm afraid it has so invaded the church that we are more concerned about our children becoming doctors and lawyers. We're more concerned about the money they can make in their life than we're concerned about the ministry that God might want to do through them. 
Whatever happened, even in the church, with thinking it's a great thing for somebody to be called to ministry, for somebody to be called to a missionary, for somebody to be called to a mission field, even in dangerous parts in this world. Whatever happened in church culture to where we would rather our children go out and make a lot of money than be called to be pastors or missionaries. What has happened to our culture in the church to where we're more concerned about how much money they can make than we're concerned about the ministry that God might want to do through their lives. I told you I was going to invade your life. Because God help us as parents. Our goal for our children ought to always be God's goal for their lives. And we ought to be thrilled to death for our children to be like Mary and say, here I am, I'm the Lord's servant. God, you do with me whatever you want to do. And that ought to be not just something we're okay with. That ought to be our goal as Christian parents to raise kids and teenagers to be willing to sign up to serve God. Let's pray. (coughs) Father, Lord, right now, I I want to thank you for the Christmas story. God, I thank you that you loved us so much. You've sent your son into the world, not just to be a baby in a manger, but to grow up and go to a cross and pay the price for our sins that through faith in him, we can have everlasting life. God, I pray this month you help us to learn lessons as Christian families. From this first Christmas story. Fathers, we think about Mary today and how you chose to use her by your grace. Father, I pray it will be the goal of our homes, our families, to raise children up that you used by your grace. That we raise our children to be spiritually sensitive to your will. God, help us to be open and encourage our children to ask questions. God, help us to trust them enough to ask questions and and trust you enough to answer those questions in their lives. Rather than make them feel like they have to fake it and wear a facade. God, forgive us in the church that we as parents have become more interested in our children having successful careers and making plenty of money, then we're concerned about them being obedient to you and even trying to lead them toward serving you in full-time Christian service. God, we can't call them. It takes you to call them. But God, make our hearts open to your call and open to accept however you call our children to serve you. Father, here at Christmas, when we think about you sending the greatest gift of all through your Son, I pray if there's anyone here that does not know Christ as Savior, that you'll help them receive the greatest gift that they could possibly receive this Christmas season by saying yes to Jesus. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. I asked you a question a moment ago. Could you, as Christian parents, could you be open to God calling your children to do whatever. I don't know if you've answered that in your heart or not, but before you do, can I remind you something? That's exactly what he did with his own son. He sent his own son to pay the ultimate price for our salvation and for the salvation of our kids. How in the world can we not be open as Christian parents to letting God use our children however he sees fit. The invitation is going to be a little bit different. The band is going to play an instrumental. They're not going to sing. I'm going to ask for two main things. I want you who are Christian parents already 
or grandparents and you've got grandchildren you're concerned about or whatever, I want you to reflect upon the goals that you've had for your children. And in particular, I want you to answer the question honestly before God. Are you okay with God using your child, however? Would you be okay with your child being like Mary and saying, Here I am. I'm your servant. Whatever you want to do with me is fine. And it may be you realize you're not quite okay with that. Maybe during this invitation, you need to come kneel and pray and ask God to help you be okay with that. Because can I tell you something again? The greatest life for your child is not being a millionaire. It's being whatever God calls them to be. If it involves being a millionaire, fine. But whatever God calls them to be, that's the good life for them. And maybe some of us as parents need to come down and be submissive to that. Maybe some of us even need to come down and kneel and pray and say, God, I pray right now. I give you my child. I did that over all three of my children. Before they were born, I prayed and I said, God, I'm giving these children to you. And however you want to use them, that was in my heart. I prayed it. I can't tell you I've always lived it out perfect since that time. And maybe you prayed something similar. But we need to, we need to tell God. You see, they're His children anyway. We can't have them without Him allowing it to take place. He's got a reason and a purpose for their lives. And we need to be willing to pray right now as parents. Some of you come down as families or as couples and, and pray and say, God, use my child however you want to use my child. And there may be someone here that needs to come and get the greatest gift you could ever receive here at Christmas, and that's receiving Christ as your Savior. And if that's your need, if you'll come see me, I will have people to spend some time with you, pray with you, and be sure you understand before you leave what the Bible says about trusting Christ as Savior and knowing for sure you have everlasting life. Will you be sensitive to God? And if God tells you as parents to come and pray, will you do it? I'm not, I'm not telling you this, trying to get you to come, but God broke my heart at the end of the first service, and I cried my eyes out at the front. Because we need to honestly be willing to raise spiritually sensitive children because they're being impacted by our culture in all the wrong ways. And we need to dedicate ourselves to do the best as we can as a church and as parents to raise children sensitive and obedient to God's will. And then we need to be willing to say, God, however you want to use them, use them. So band plays, stand. We invite you to come. You are listening to Sermon Audio from Dayton Church. If you have any questions about God, faith, or our church, email us at info at dayfreechurch.com. And for more information, find us on the web at dayfreechurch.com.